Hello and welcome to Peace, the podcast. This podcast is sponsored by Peace, a United Methodist community in Shoreview, Minnesota. I'm Jason Steffenhagen, the lead pastor. And each episode will typically start with a sacred story reading coming from the Holy Scriptures, followed by the message that was given during our Sunday morning worship time. Any announcements for our community will come at the end of each episode, so stick around. If you are curious about learning more about Peace United Methodist Community, you can go to peaceumc.com. Again, that's peaceumc.com. If you would like to find more episodes, you can find them on our website or go to our show page, which is peacethepodcast.podbean.com. Once again, that's peacethepodcast.podbean, P-O-D-B-E-A-N, We hope that you enjoy this episode. Please like, rate, review, subscribe. And now, on to the Sacred Story Reading. So, I'm working down in Tennessee, and part of my job, I got to help with this chapel experience every Thursday. One time after we got done, this, this young woman walked up. And she said, my parents are pastors in the Vineyard Church Movement, and they met these other pastors over in England, and they have a son, and he's got a band, and I think you might like their music. And I'm like, well, that's really random, but okay. And she's like, I'll send you a link. And I said, great. And so I go back to my office, and before I got there, she'd already sent me an email, and up popped a music video with the band Mumford & Sons singing the song, Awake My Soul. And I was instantly hooked. And I was like, whoa, this is something totally different and unique, and I'm, I'm really into it. And so I started listening to their music. And then like a couple weeks later, one of their songs was on Grey's Anatomy. And this was during the time that if your song was on Grey's Anatomy, it suddenly just blew up because that's where people were looking for new music. And so suddenly the whole world knew who they were, and I was like, ha, I beat you by two weeks, world. I got you. That's a little bit of the backstory of my engagement with this song. That song and that album really captured my attention. It, it captured me in a way that I couldn't quite put to words at the time. And it, it wasn't until earlier this week that, it, that I was able to start figuring out why it resonated so deeply with me. But before I tell you that, I'm going to leave you hanging on that for a minute. Um, my son loves to go to sleep to music, my little guy, my little eight-year-old. And so after we went to the Taylor Swift concert, which he didn't go to, but we started playing Taylor Swift in the house an awful lot, he would fall asleep every night to the song 22 by Taylor Swift. He would put it on repeat and listen to the song 22 over and over and over again, to the point in which my wife and I were like, okay, we used to love that song, Um, but now it just plays in our house way too much. But after I told my kiddos and whatnot that I was going to be playing this song in church and talking about it, my, I played it for my little guy, and he's like, Dad, I want that song tonight. And so now Awake My Soul has been playing on repeat in our house night after night until he falls asleep. And sometimes we forget to turn it off, so it's on for like two hours, and then we finally remember to turn it off. Um, but this song has just been playing and playing and playing in, in our house. And so my son and I were in the car driving up um, to my, my parents' cabin this weekend um, for a little overnight thing. And, and I, I decided to listen to the entire album of, of Sigh No More. And I'd always loved the majority of the songs on it. But as I started to listen, something kind of bubbled up for me that I think put to words 
what I had been experiencing with this album and this band for a long time. And the, the idea was this, that it was a breakup album, but it was a breakup with a form of religion and faith that they once held that they no longer hold, that they were saying goodbye to a version of the way they thought the world worked and they needed to let it go. But here's the catch. They didn't do away with faith. They didn't do away with spirituality. They didn't do away with all of the relational love and grace and justice dynamics that their faith had taught them. They realized that sometimes there were aspects of faith and religion and spirituality that needed to be let go, but they were still willing to hold on to certain parts of it. So one of the things that I, I, I wanted to highlight is, is this idea of when following the rules doesn't work anymore. Because I think some of us, we grow up and we're taught all the rules. If you do this and you follow that and you say this and you recite it this way and you, and you go by this rule and you do that, then it'll work out. Then it'll make sense. Then you'll arrive. Then you'll achieve this. And for some of us, that has been the way that it's worked. But for some of us, we realize somewhere along the way, that's not how it works. That following the rules and doing the right thing and saying this in this order, it doesn't lead to what was promised. It doesn't lead to what we thought it was. For some of us, that we experience that because of our gender. For some people in this room, we experience it because of who we love. Some of us have experienced that or people have experienced that in our world because of the color of their skin. And some have been in relationship to people that they've had, that they've seen that happen. And so the light bulb comes on because the people they love, they've watched them go through something like that. And, and, it's, and at that point, we look at the world and say, well, if it doesn't work for you, then even though it works for me, this, this can't work. Because if the world only works for a certain portion of us, the world's not working. It's not the way it should be. And so the question then becomes for us, when following the rules doesn't work anymore, well then what next? What next? And I think the theme that Mumford is trying to articulate, now I, and, and let me just be really clear here. This is, like, this is me speculating on this album. This is what this album said to me. This is what I'm doing with art, right? So when you see a painting and you say this painting means this to me, you don't know what the artist meant by the painting. I don't know what Monk, Mar Marcus Mumford thought when he was writing all these songs. I know that he grew up in a vineyard church, and the vineyard church is, is, a, is a beautiful expression of church and community, but it can also be fairly conservative. And I get from his writing that maybe he's saying, this isn't how I identify anymore. I don't know what he actually feels. I don't know if he still goes to the same church he grew up in or if he doesn't go to church at all. I have no idea. This is me interpreting art. Uh, this is my way of entering into this album and this music. But I think the thing that stuck out to me is where you invest your love, you invest your life. Because when it comes down to it, our faith is not just, did we follow the rules? Did I do the Ten Commandments right? Did I, did I, did I love the right neighbor? Which neighbor should I love? All of them? No, I can't be all of them. Um, just the certain ones that look like me. Like, did I follow the rules? Did I do it all right? Did I check all the right boxes? Is God going to like me in the end? Instead, we realize that life is about loving others. And how do we know we love God? By the way we love others. 
by the way we love our neighbor. And who is your neighbor? Everyone is your neighbor. So where you invest your love, you invest your life. The rules don't always work. The rules sometimes need to be broken. They need to be protested. Sometimes we need to just set them down for a minute and say, what else could be? When the rules don't work, what else is left? And I like to believe, and I think we here like to believe, that when the rules don't all work, we still hold on to love. We still hold on to justice. We still hold on to grace. We still hold on to discipleship. And discipleship is hard. It's a long walk in the same direction, trying to follow our rabbi, trying to love our enemy as we love ourselves. So where we invest our love, we're investing our life. There's an interesting character in the Bible named David. And for some of you, you know David's story really well because it's a really popular one. He's, he's one of those characters in the Bible that we study a lot in the church. Uh, for those of you that have no idea David's story, let me just give you a quick little backstory. David was, uh, I, I don't even remember if how many brothers he had, like seven. He was the eighth. Thank you, Dave. He was the seventh. There it is. I appreciate that so much. David was the seventh of all these brothers, and the prophet was told to go anoint one of the sons of Jesse. And he started with the oldest, who looked most like the kingly one, and was told, no, 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 six times. And then the prophet said to Jesse, do you have any more kids? Because none of these are the next king. And he said, well, there's the young one. He's out in the field with the sheep, but it can't be him. And lo and behold, David shows up and the Lord says, anoint that one. That's the next king. And so David is anointed to be the next king. And yet he's still this young boy growing up on his father's household, tending to the sheep. And then a war breaks out with the Philistines, and his brothers go off to war, and there's this guy by the name of Goliath who keeps taunting the Israelites, challenging them to a fight, and nobody will fight him because he's a giant, and he keeps on winning all of his battles, and so no one will do it. David shows up to bring some supplies to the soldiers, go say hi to his brothers, and then he sees this interaction that Goliath has where he comes down to the valley every day, and he says, come fight me, and no one will do it because he's a giant. And David goes to the King Saul and says, I'll do it. I've taken on lions. I've taken on bears. I've protected the sheep. God will protect me. God will deliver us. This is what God wants. Let me do this. And so he goes to the river, picks up his five stones, goes up to Goliath and says, nah. He says it more eloquently than that, but he basically says, nah. And then he, he takes Goliath out with his slingshot and he kills Goliath and he's celebrated for it. And then David has some other skills. He plays the lyre, very beautiful, this little harp, and he's able to soothe King Saul when Saul has fallen under control of an evil spirit. And so he's able to help the king out. And then David grows up and he becomes this mighty warrior. He capitalizes on his defeat of Goliath. He gets these men to follow him and he goes and he fights all these battles. And the people start chanting something in the cities where he passes through. They say, Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his ten thousands. So David is becoming the protector of the realm. He's becoming the one that the people are looking to for their safety. And it starts to bother Saul. Saul sees David as a potential threat. 
And so Saul is bent on taking David out. But David has this special, beautiful relationship with Saul's son, Jonathan. And Jonathan recognizes his father's rage and protects David and says, you need to get out of here because my dad's going to kill you. And so David and his men run and they're hiding out in a cave. And Saul is chasing after David, trying to find them. And when Saul is trying to find David, Saul decides to park it for the night in a cave. It just so happens to be the same cave where David and his men have decided to rest for the night as well, further back in the cave. And so David has this unique moment of recognizing an opportunity. Here is the person that's after him. Here is the person trying to get him. And now that person is sleeping in the same cave, and David has an opportunity to confront the person that's chasing him down. And in that moment, David is going to write Psalm 57. In verses 6 through 10 of Psalm 57 say this, They set a net for my steps. My soul was bowed down. They dug a pit in my path, but they have fallen into it themselves. Then there's this word, Selah, which Dave will probably be able to explain it much better than me because it's a musical notation for those that are writing and setting this to music. It can mean multiple things. It could mean an exclamation point, like what just came before it you need to set an exclamation point to. It could mean to take a pause and take a breath. I think in the context of what David is writing, it could mean both of those things at the same time. They dug a pit in my path, but they have fallen into it themselves. Pause. He's recognizing, he's recognizing that he's not in the wrong here, that Saul is. Because my heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make melody. Awake, my soul. Awake, O harp and lyre. I will awake the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations, for your steadfast love is as high as the heavens. Your faithfulness extends to the clouds. David followed all of the rules. He tended the sheep. He brought supplies to his brothers. He defeated the giant. He helped the king in his time of distress. When it was a battle to fight, he and his men went off to fight it and were successful. He did everything right. And yet the king wanted him dead. The rules stopped working. When the rules stop working, we have a choice to make about what we do with our lives. We have a choice to make. We can just abandon it all. We can throw it all away and say, this whole system is broken. This whole thing is unworthy of my time and attention. I'm done with it. I don't have time for this anymore. This religion is no longer for me. This faith is no longer for me. This tradition is no longer for me. This place of this, this government is no longer representative. I mean, we can throw everything out. And sometimes we should. Sometimes we should. But what David is going to do is recognize that his task 
is to stay faithful to God's calling and to not raise his hand against the king. Because the prophet not only anointed David, but the prophet anointed Saul first. And Saul has not been taken away yet. And it's not his place to do that. And so he goes to the front of the cave and he cuts off a piece of the robe of Saul's uh, coat. And then he takes it and then he has a messenger send it to him. And he says, the Lord delivered me into your hands. But far be it from me to lay a hand on the Lord's anointed. And Saul in that moment has a momentary glimpse of grace where he recognizes David's kindness towards him. But then Saul's heart is turned again. It's, it's turned towards anger and frustration and he pursues David again. And Saul will eventually find himself in a war that he will not win and he will find himself, um, he will find himself killed. And then David will eventually become king, but it will not be David who does that. David will remain steadfast to the love that God has for him. Because I think what David is learning, and again, I'm speculating here, right? I'm, this is, I don't know David's heart. I can try to figure it out. I can mine the scriptures. I can wrestle with it, and I can wonder. But ultimately, I'm just trying to figure out what is going on in David. Just like I'm trying to figure out what is going on in this Mumford album, I can try to figure out, and I think what's going on in David's heart, he's saying that there's a way to be king, but it's not like Saul. That sometimes these rules don't always add up to the way you think it should, and you need to do things differently. You need to be a person of grace, a person of justice, a person of love. You can't always fight back the way they want you to, because then you're fighting on their terms. We have to think of a more creative way to go forward. And so David is going to offer Saul these glimpses of grace to try to turn Saul's heart trusting that this way, this new way, is the way forward. But in order to do that, and this is a line straight from the song, your soul you must keep totally free. Because once we start fighting the battle they want us to fight, once we start fighting in the way they want us to, that's when our soul gets captured by this way of engaging the world. And let's be honest, it's tempting to want to fight that way. It's tempting to want to make enemies out of the people who have made us the enemy. It's tempting to want to say, you're the problem. When there's a system behind all of this, when there's a mantra, when there's a way, when there's a flow that people are caught up in and they can't even see that they're caught up in it, it's easy to want to make a person the enemy instead of recognizing there's something much deeper going on here. We don't change hearts and minds by attacking people. We change hearts and minds through love, through patience, through faithfulness, through goodness. We have to keep our souls free because once we give in, that's when we start down a road that it's really hard to come back from. I think for me that's one of the challenges I have, both when I think about the way our government system works, whether it's the prison system or the education system or the economic system, you name the system, they are all 
at times, or if not always, corrupt or bent towards one group over the other. And I want to fight it, and I want to get mad at a person, but it's a system that's the problem. How can we change the system? And then I get into a conversation with family members around a dinner table, and it's really easy to say, you're the problem. And I've tried that. It doesn't work. We all know it doesn't work, that it just becomes a finger-pointing session, and then it becomes no more invitation to the dinner table. So how can we, how can we enter these engagements keeping our souls free to love and offer grace, to remain faithful? Because I think the question is really important. Where are you investing your love? Where are you investing your love? Where is your energy going? Is it just anger spilling out? Or are you pouring love into relationships? Are you pouring love into serving those that need serving? Are you pouring love and energy and time and passion and your gifts into areas of the world that need your presence? Where are we investing our love? Because where we invest our love, we invest our life. And that's what faith is. Faith isn't just about trying to get to heaven when we die. It's not just about being in the sweet by and by in the sky. Faith is what transforms life on this dirt. It's what transforms life with other people. Faith is what transforms how we think of ourselves and others and creation. It transforms everything so that this place reflects the nature of love and the divine, so that this place smells a little bit more like heaven, so that this place can be a place where God says, I want to dwell with my people. We don't transform this place by making an enemy of the people in it. We transform this place through love. Let's pray. God, will you awaken our souls? Will you awaken them to light and life? Will you awaken them through music? Will you awaken them through art? Will you awaken them through good conversation and learning and science? Will you awaken our souls so that they can see beauty, they can see love, they can see grace? Will you awaken our souls, God, to see that fighting the battles that we want to fight in the way that everyone else wants us to fight isn't the way forward, but there's got to be another way. May we turn the other cheek. May we lay down our coat. May we go the extra mile. May we do what we have to do a third way, a different way, an alternative way. May we find a new way, God. May you inspire us through your spirit with the creativity of an artist to do it differently, to awaken our souls to a new path where we exemplify the fruit of the spirit of love and joy and peace and patience, of self-control. God, may we exemplify love because it's only through love, God, that this life can truly be life. Awake our souls. In the name of Christ we pray.
Thank you for listening to this episode of Peace, the podcast. If you would like to learn more about our community, go to peaceumc.com. Again, that's peaceumc.com. For more episodes of this podcast, you can go to our website or go to the show page, peacethepodcast.podbean.com. Again, peacethepodcast.podbean.com. May you experience the love of God and may you have peace.